Welcome back. I chose this topic, the power of holding a sacred name. Because it's a very uh, important part of my practice. I've been cultivating or practicing the Buddha's path of awakening since 1976 when I went off to Thailand was a Buddhist monk for 15 years with Lung Pa Cha and his senior Western disciple, Ajahn Sumaito, and a wonderful Sangha over the years of fellow monks and nuns. And since that time of ordination, since then, the uh, practice of the Dharma has been the central principle of my life. In my early practice, sacred name wasn't that important, or I didn't really understand it. I was, in fact, the Buddha images in, in the monasteries in Thailand. were a little bit off-putting. I was more interested in the meditation and in the peace, calm, insights, visions. But to be trained as a monk in the Thai forest tradition, we learned endless recitations, chants honoring the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, the refuge. And little by little over time, I realized that the sounding these ancient sacred phrases carried on the breath, the life-giving breath. On that out-breath, those sounds of the recitation, like when I started the meditation, namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhasa. But that activity had a really tangible, calming, brightening, steadying, blessing, influence, impact, response to my, on my body-mind, my quality of presence and being, embodied being. We also chanted, learned lots of protection chants that came from the time of the Buddha. They're called paritta chants, P-A-R-I-T-T-A -T -T in the original Pali, means protection. Chants for 
warding off harmful influences. At first we might think, first me, I would have been included in there. I wanted the meditation, the Buddha images, even one of the early monasteries I visited, the Buddha was covered in Christmas lights that were flashing and I just wanted to get into a silent practice and somehow deal with this crazy mind. So the meditation was this turning back from the craziness of life to in my early understanding of it, which was a somewhat misguided, to peace. But as, as uh, monks, we would be in rural Northeast Thailand. Our monasteries were in the forests. And we would be invited to into people's homes or situations to chant these blessing chants. So the Buddha had this notion, this insight, this experience that when with a heart that's composed, rooted in true principle, presence, and that recollecting and reciting and celebrating these boundless qualities of wisdom, compassion, the qualities of the awakened heart, the qualities of the Dharma, the true nature of things, the qualities of the Sangha, the extraordinary refuge and support that comes from having good friends, that are reminders, living, breathing beings to encourage us, to remind us, to warn us, to awaken us, to stir us back into presence. And subtly and essentially to the essence of Sangha is is this befriending activity which is what practice is. When we practice, we befriend what is skillful, like mindfulness. Befriend wise, composed, conscious connection with how things are, because that's what illuminates. That's what illumines the nature of the moment. And there can then be the wise recognition of what is harmful, what is not to be furthered so that that can be abandoned and relinquished. Recognize what is wholesome and good so that that can be cultivated and sustained. At first, it just seemed like learning these chants, chanting it. But as I was saying, I started to notice an energetic response like that namo namo is this beautiful word it means i return my life namo means i honor i return my life tasa bhagavato to the blessed one to that the awakened one is filled with blessings when the heart is not caught up in falseness and confusion. Whatever that awareness touches is blessed. Arahato, it's another quality of the Buddha that we chant a lot. It means worthy, not confused by greed, hatred, and delusion, truly noble. Samma Sambuddhasa, fully awake, balancing form and emptiness. The wakefulness honors the nature of forms and sounds that keep 
dissolving and revealing the unmoving, empty, luminous nature. But that luminous nature has within it this mysterious forms, the forms which are empty, the emptiness which is filled with forms, this non-dual suchness. And when we chanted the qualities of the Buddha Dhamma Sangha, there's a long chant. It's not that long, but that's every monastery, most many of the lay people in Thailand know this chant. It's a protection chant. And the Buddha said, when you're afraid, you remember these, the nature of these qualities of the Buddha, the Dhamma Sangha the fear will run away. And as again and again, as I said, carried on the breath, chanted these chants, Itipi so bhagawa arahang samma sambuto vija composure started to happen, presence. And then as one is namo honoring, merging with this quality of refuge of the awakened one. Each of these ancient sacred words within mindfulness dissolves and keeps revealing the ever luminous underlying nature. One of the blessing chants because sometimes they, they were actual discourses that the Buddha gave that we would recite as a protection, as a, as a blessing. One is called the Mangala Sutta, the teaching on blessings. The very first stanza says, uh, not to hang out with foolish people, but to associate with the wise, Honoring what is worthy of honor, this is the highest blessing. That this is the highest blessing, that line is eta mangala muttamang. Mangala is a blessing. The word for honoring in the lang early language that the Buddha spoke is puja. It means it's like a chant, but it's a certain kind of chant. It's a celebration, an honoring. In that very first stanza of the teaching on blessings, the Buddha says, when you honor what is worthy of honor, great blessings. The Pali for that is puja, chapujani anangetamangalamuttama. When we align with the boundless, eat. The Buddha refuge, awareness, the Bhutto. How wide is, is awareness? This sound is limited. The sound comes and begins and ends. But the listening nature, the aware nature that receives it, within which the sound comes and then dissolves, that awareness is boundless. The true nature, the nature of a sound comes and goes, a thought comes and goes, but that condition is arising and ceasing within an unmoving, ever-present. So this dharma nature, yes, there, there's the changing aspect of it. But when we haven't really contemplated Plated, we overlook the fact that this dharma nature is actually boundless. So when we honor what is worthy of honor, when we're honoring the Buddha, the dharma, the sangha, when we're chanting, when we're holding a sacred name or phrase, that means we're mindful of it. We're allowing it to flow through the nervous system, whether it's intoned in externally or even just thought. Even when it's just thought, it still has an impact. 
in my experience. The sense of self gets very fractured and we feel very overwhelmed. And in, in this age, my gosh, the political chaos and what feels like, you know, fascism on the rise and the catastrophic environmental activities that unfortunately too many beings seem to be asleep about what we're doing to the environment, polluting the air and the water and heating up the atmosphere. Our own struggles with staying well and safe within this pandemic, not to mention our own responsibilities and trying to do the best we can. The sense of self can feel pressured and confused and anxious and Powerful practice, puja that when we honor what is worthy of honor, making a sound, sounding a chant or a sacred name, when this sense of self that's frightened, that's worried, that's confused about what to do, we allow these ancient forms to be portals, guidelines, methods, back to our true home. I was so surprised that when I would chant some of these chants, like that blessing chant, the save of, of, of the nature of Mangala blessing, a save ana chapala nang pantitanan chasevana pudja chapujani anang etam mangala muttamang patirupa desavaso chapube chakatapunyata atta samma panidicha etam mangala muttamang. That sound with presence. When there was a plague at the time of the Buddha. Some one village, so much sickness. And then famine. People couldn't find food in the midst of the plague. And then disturbing spirits, evil spirits, uh, really difficult states of mind people were experiencing. The Buddha encouraged his, one of his beloved disciples, Ananda, to get some of the monastic community to recite, to go into that village and just recite those sounds. Not just recite, empty words. The key to the recitation is the state of mind, that sincerity of honoring. So we're making sounds to honor the Buddha, the wise ones, compassion, and letting those mindful sounds as they arise and dissolve to keep revealing this nature, this presence. It's one of the famous stories of the, another one of these protection chants was called the Ratana Sutra, the teaching on the jewels, the three jewels. Ananda did that. Big storm came, washed out the plague. Over time, I've started to feel the impact of these chants. Now, these are longer chants that are easy, easier to learn when you're monastic. We, we have hours of chants. And the early practice of Bhutto, you know, going, they would teach breathing in and Bud breathing out To, and it didn't do much for me at first. Because I, like I said, I wanted that peace. I just wanted to get rid of thoughts. But later, 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 
some of these shorter mantras, shorter holding of the sacred name that are easily available for everyone started to become more powerful. Also, early in my monastic life, I got typhoid fever in a forest in uh, Northeast Thailand and uh, got really sick, almost died, lost 30, 40 pounds. I was probably 135 pounds or so when I arrived, but probably I went down to under 100. And then for years, I had the effects of the damage from that typhoid, which is a high fever and it ulcerates your insides. I had internal bleeding, all sorts of problems. I couldn't seem to get better. And that's then when I also encountered the a newsletter that came to our monastery from Master Xunhua, a great Chinese master from the city of 10,000 Buddhas who talked about that the Bodhisattva Guan Yin can cure any illness, can help you with any illness if you recite this name. And there's also longer mantras one can learn, the great compassion mantra. that have this power to heal. And so at first, again, it was a selfish, I just wanted to get better. There was a few years where I had to lie down almost all the time because of the effects of this sickness. But I had faith. Why, I don't know. Faith enough just to try it. I'd already gotten the sense that recitation was uh, could have an impact, but I've never really given a chance to what does it mean to hold a sacred name? To hold a sacred name means to allow a sacred name, like Bhutto, though at first I didn't understand how to use it. But then I begin to hold the sacred name of Guan Yin, which is the Chinese trans of Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva. A Bodhisattva is an awakened being dedicated to awakening all beings. Avalokiteshvara means the Bodhisattva who listens or regards the savara, the sounds of the world. Or sometimes it's translated as Avalokiteshvara. Listening to the sounds of the world at ease, Ishvara, there's freedom in the listening. Guan Yin, same meaning. Guan means to listen. Yin means sounds. Sometimes the name of Avalokiteshvara in Chinese is Guan Shi Yin. Guan to listen. Yin sounds Shi of the world, Guan Shi Yin at ease. So my mantra, I was really sick. And now it's become such a blessing in my daily life. The mantra I used a lot was Namo, wonderful Buddhist word. Means I honor, but not just that I honor, I offer myself. Namo Guan, G-U-A-N, or sometimes it's spelled K-U-A-N, Guan. Shi Yin Pusa. Pusa is short for Bodhisattva. Namo Guan Shi Yin Pusa. In the, uh, as I begin to practice this and then some wonderful responses started to happen. It wasn't a finger snap and suddenly I got well, but the part of the 
miraculous response was then as I started practicing holding this name and learning this long or great compassion mantra, then disciples of that Chinese master came and visited our monastery. At that time, we'd moved from Thailand to the UK to Chithurst Forest Monastery in West Sussex. And those monks came to visit, taught me more about the mantra, taught me more about holding Kuan Yin's name, started introducing us to the teachings around Kuan Yin. And this uh, Bodhisattva is uh, mentioned in what's called the Lotus Sutra, whole chapter of that famous Mahayana discourse. Mahayana means great vehicle. It's called Mahayana because the vision is awakening, but we're all of one substance. There aren't actually any separate pieces here. So it's the deep impulse that awakening that everyone may awaken because we're all of one family, all from one source. And in this uh, chapter 25, which is about Kuan Yin, it, uh, the Buddha who is asked about Kuan Yin, then the Buddha talks about how this Bodhisattva got the name, the one who listens to the sounds of the world and the one who vows to respond to every prayer. And the Buddha And as Master Wa taught, and I tried it out, he said, if you can recite the name of Guan Shi and there is inconceivable power there. And what, what did the Buddha say about holding a sacred name? He said, she can extinguish the suffering of all the realms of existence. in that discourse talked about holding the name. What does holding the name mean? That means everyone's sitting, walking, having the name like Namo Kuan Yin Pusa, just mingle with the sensations. Now I realize other sacred names, sometimes that's a little long. Sometimes I just use the phrase Bhutto. Let it mingle with whatever I'm doing. It means Buddha. We're plugging in that name that mingles with the sensations or Namo. Why I like the longer one, Namo, is it reminds me to trust. Kuan Yin and the Buddha promised that if one single mindedly, sincerely, holds the name of Kuan Yin, that little by little we are separated from our desire. This is the desire that, that becomes entangling. It's not aspiration, the wholesome desire to alleviate suffering, to deepen and grow. That's when desire is purified, but when we're swept away by what the Buddha called tanha, T-A-N-H-A, tanha. That's an addictive thing that pulls us out like a flood. We lose touch with our center, our root, our source. That holding the name, little by little, we're separated from greed, hatred, and delusion. A 
all I can say is when it's practice it, try it. First, like I said, I was just wanting to get peaceful. But then when I even started understanding the Buddha's teachings around samadhi, around gatheredness, what is a block to samadhi? Mind that's just going all over the place, what's called papancha, just proliferating mind. It just goes on and on and on. There's a certain kind of thought to bring our mind back to the topic which the Buddha called Vitaka, V-I-T-A-K-K-A, Vitaka. It's a thought that just brings us back. So rather than just thinking any old thing, what brings us back to the breath or brings us back to mindfulness? It's oftentimes a thought, but it's not any old thought. It's a thought that just, it's a moderated thought. Usually it's a shorter thought that just reminds us what we're doing. So an important part of samadhi practice, deepening our meditation, is skillful training of thought. Yes, it's wonderful when the thought just goes quiet. But then if we're averse to thoughts, as soon as thoughts come, then we just get all entangled it again. The Buddha taught this skillful use of thought to breathing in, breathing out, then I begin to realize why butto is such a good butto, but when you breathe in toe on the out breath, or breathing in quiet, breathing out butto, it's just a subtle phrase, sound that dissolves, but as it dissolves, it directs the attention to the refuge, to wakefulness. Similarly, Namo Kwan Impusa. Namo reminds us to relax, to remember that whatever is happening in this moment doesn't belong to us. We might think it belongs to us, but each sound that keeps dissolving, we call it my sound, but it's gone. We call it my body, but can we control it? I can move my hand, but not always. As Ajahn Chah would say, the body doesn't ask for permission to get sick or to age. Namo reminds us that this all belongs to Dharma, to this mother nature. Kwan Chiryin Pusa. It's a name, a sacred name that dissolves and directs us back to the sacred source, the listening, the wakefulness. All sacred names point us back to the one source. Guan Yin, in this Lotus Sutra, said those who like I said and the Buddha said she can extinguish the suffering of all the realms of existence the Buddha said that if one sincerely holds the name calls on the power that listens that's always listening that it protects us from fires, floods, attacks, 
holding the name little by little helps purify the heart of greed, hatred, and delusion. Master Was says that if you want to be friends with Kuan Yin or friends with the Buddha, just recite the name. You think, oh, I don't know. Hmm. I have to think about that, Kitty Sorrow. Sounds just like rites and rituals. And well, notice when we're trying to solve every solution just by figuring it out. Certainly there's a place for figuring things out. But when we're overly relied on thought, guess what? Thought, thought splits up the world into me and you. Here's the screen and, and I see the screen. And this is a Dhamma talk. But is it a good talk? Is it, hmm, maybe it's not so good. Is it boring? This is what I like. This is what I don't like. Over-reliance on thought without contemplation leads to what's called papanja, this complexity and the cosmos being shattered and then locating ourselves into this bit of it is me and mine. This bit I like that. <laughs> you stay over there. Once the king of the gods, Saka, heavenly being, the Buddhist teachings were for humans, but also he, he taught heavenly beings. Those of you might be skeptical, but I've noticed our teacher, Ajahn Chah, his teacher in his biography talked about it at a certain time at night, the heavenly beings would come and visit him. And Ajahn Chah's teacher, Ajahn Mun, would, would give discourses then to them. Ajahn Chah didn't talk about it so much because it can cause problems, believing, not believing. But one of the discourses was recorded that Saka, the king of the 33, the realm of the 33, came to ask the Buddha in an important discourse in the Diga Nikaya. D-I-G-H-A, Diga Nikaya is the, the collection of long discourses called Saka's question, was, was one of them. And Saka said, hey, beings want to, how did he put it? Beings, all beings, he said, wish to live without hate, harming hostility or malignity and in peace. We wish for that. But we end up, in conflict with hate, harming, hostility, malignity, not in peace. Why does it happen? And the Buddha gave a discourse. The Buddha talked about how when, when beings, when their minds and hearts are, are guided by Envy and stinginess, wanting what someone else has and then trying to hold on to what I've got. That's the cause that then leads to hostility, hate, conflict. Envy, wanting what someone else has, stinginess, not sharing. Saka thought, oh, wow, yeah, yeah, I can see that. But then he, Saka was a practitioner. He said, but what leads to that? And the Buddha talked about how when the mind makes these demarcations and, and concretizes them between dear and not dear, what I really like, what I don't like. Now, this is what I like, that's what I don't like. When, when we really make much of that, what I want, what I don't want, that then can lead, not always, but it can easily lead if one is not reflecting to envy and stinginess. 
Saka kept questioning what leads to that demarcation of like, not like. Dear, not dear. And the Buddha said, it's desire, wanting something. And Saka then said, but, but what leads to that? And the Buddha said, thinking. But then what causes us to keep thinking, keep thinking, keep thinking? And creating all of this desires and aversion, which is another kind of desire. I want this, I don't want that. I want this, I don't want that. That's what I like, that's what I don't like. And then it leads to conflict. All the way back to the root cause. The Buddha used the word papancha, P-A-P-A-N-C-A. Papancha, it means that which proliferates. It actually was a longer phrase the Buddha used, forgive me, but papancha sanya, S-A-N-N-A, which means perception, sankha, S-A-N-K-H-A. It's like a concept. Papancha sanya sankha, or just papancha. When those are happening, when we're not mindful of these perceptions, they become concretized, me, you. That then leads to endless thinking, endless desire, endless demarcations, categorizations between what I like, what I don't like, leading to envy and stinginess, finally to conflict. Saka said, well, how do we get out of this? What's the path to Nipa Pancha, the ending of this kind of conceptual proliferation, just thinking, thinking, thinking? And the Buddha acknowledged, no, thinking has its place. He talked about how thinking is helpful to particularly distinguish between what's wholesome and not wholesome. And if something, if we know something's not wholesome, to really try to train ourselves to let, to not do it, to not say it, to not act on it. And if it's wholesome, do it, say it, act on it. But the Buddha encouraged that in the pathway to non-proliferation, the Buddha encouraged, he said, when that activity, whatever it is that's wholesome, when it's done with thinking or without thinking, Without thinking, it's, it's of a higher quality. It's, it's excellent. So the Buddha is encouraging us to start training the heart to let go of thought. So that the heart starts to get accustomed to the spaces between thoughts to not being supported by a thought. Because that's a deeper part of mind that was captured in the English language. That notion of mind used to be more recognized, a deeper mind that's not just so dependent on thought. Now the mind, we tend to associate it with thinking, our capacity to argue and articulate, and he's got a good mind. But expressions like mind how you go, mind your step. When you're then thought, thought just might direct the attention, like if you're threading a needle, The actual thought can't do it, but a thought might just say, careful, careful. The thought just directs the attention, but then the mind goes silent. And then there's presence. It's not dependent on thought. When one is watching one step, the thought can't make you step right. Mind, mind your step is just an alert 
that directs attention and then the silent actually sacred name has the blessing of generating energy when you honor what is worthy of honor, when you remember the Buddha or the Dharma or the Sangha or Guan Yin, and when one partakes of that field of protection and blessing, which can be stabilizing, and one can actually then, especially then if one's starting to not just cling to the name, but realize the name, it's a sacred name because the name honors its ephemerality and points to the timeless, ever-present source. The Buddha taught that conditions come and go, that's their nature. When we fully bow to that, acknowledge that, then we realize no word can capture that things aren't really true. We call it a day, but the day dissolves into a night. We call it an in-breath, but it's vibrating and becoming an out-breath. There aren't any actual things. When we begin to appreciate that every name, every sound, every experience, every feeling, every circumstance is only separate and solid because we've projected it, concretized it with our view. As we start to practice Nipapancha, blessing thought with mindfulness so that we start to realize the thought keeps dissolving into the ever-present sound the ever-present silence, excuse me. Just as space is to form and silence is to sound, so is awareness to all phenomena. Holding a sacred name, it's one of my favorite things. Guan Yin is called the bestower of fearlessness. because She promises that if you hold the name, rather than keep relying too much on trying to work it all out, to hold Namo Quan Chi and Pusa, and then rest in that listening, rest in the gap after that sound subsides. Merging with Kuan Yin, merging where all things merge. That's where the Buddha dwells. It's where all the saints and sages dwell. It is said all things merge in that which never dies. I love chanting the sacred names from all the religious traditions because they all dissolve into the same source. In the Sharangama Sutra, that's another 
Mahayana discourse famous. Sharangama means ultimately durable, means indestructible. That which never dies. It's another way of talking about our true nature. And that we, we lose touch with our true nature when we're hypnotized by this papancha by this grasping at what we think is solid, fame, pleasure, this identity, then it keeps shifting and changing. As Ajahn Chah would say, when you look for certainty in that which is uncertain, you're bound to suffer. We keep trying to hold on to success or hold on to a pleasant feeling. That's why the contemplation of change is so liberating when we see that every sound, every sensation, every moment keeps dissolving. When we honor that, surrender to that truth, that Patinisaga, that relinquishment, that letting be, letting go, we find ourselves resting in that which is always already here. The Buddha also called that the, the Tathagata Garbha. Tathagata is one of the favorite phrases he used to describe himself. It's the one who's thus in the midst of movement, the thus come one. Tathagata garba, interestingly, means womb. This womb, this matrix. Another way of talking about this mystery that we call life is it's a womb within which manifestation appears and dissolves. When the Buddha talked about this matrix, this womb of the awakened ones, he said, I am identical to the matrix of the thus come one. This Tathagata Garbha is itself the wondrous, enlightened, luminous understanding, which illuminates the entire Dharma realm. Within it, therefore, the one is infinitely many. And the inf infinitely many are one. This is our true nature. The infinitely many, the kaleidoscope of sights and sounds and here and there, vibrating like twinkling stars within an unmoving, vast, luminous stillness, which is awake. Buddha goes on to say, in response to objects, Ananda, there is perception. In response to faculties, there are objects. Neither the objects nor perceptions of them have an essential nature. They're dependent on each other, like intertwining reeds. Know, therefore, that the establishment of perceived objects such that they exist separately within your awareness is the foundation of ignorance. We create these separations, me, you, here, there.
when objects, the Buddha goes on to say, are not perceived as separate from awareness. That itself is nirvana. When objects are not perceived as separate from awareness, that itself is nirvana. Sacred phrases are so helpful. Bhutto, that phrase touches awareness and then dissolves into the unmoving listening. Guanyin, the same. Another favorite sacred name that I hold is Mother Nature. It's all nature. Or even Lord have mercy. I let the sound, Lord have mercy, touch awareness and then plunge into the silence, what our teacher called minding the gap. Lord have mercy, then listen. And when the words are gone, we recognize the interwoven perfection. Other traditions, Sita Ram, I love Sita Ram. Sita is like the energetic forms. Ram is a sound that talks about the unchanging true nature. Sita on the breath, Ram, silence. Training ourselves to use a sacred word, but then savor the silence. Be aware that every sacred sound is just pointing to the silent sacred source. They can't be captured. That's why the wonderful contemporary of the Buddha, Lao Tzu and the Tao Te Ching said, the name that can be named is not the eternal name. The name that can be named is not the eternal name. But we can celebrate the sacred names. Bhutto, true nature. Sitaram, Mother Mary, Guan Yin your own favorite sacred names, holding the sacred name of a Buddha, Amitabha. And we hold it mindfully, sincerely, that it mingle with the sensations, that in each one sound take us to the unmoving ground of being. we start to get a sense of this blessing of honoring what is worthy of honor. Begin to return to our home ground, true nature. As the Buddha said, this mystery that we call life, he said, this Dharma, cannot be described. Words fall silent before it. That's what the Buddha said in that Lotus Sutra. This Dharma, this mystery cannot be described. Words fall silent before it. But he tried. And he spoke some words and he helped us understand our relationship to words, seeing their ephemeral changing nature frees us from that papancha. And he gave us this appreciation of sacred name used well, takes us back to that unnameable ground. Thank you for your attention, blessings, 
everyone. I'm sharing what has been, continues to be so important in my life. I hope something useful is getting through. What I so love is sharing of blessings. The Buddha taught that we might imagine that we're separate, but that our lives are deeply interwoven with everything and everyone. And one of my favorite activities is, is with an out-breath, wishing may the goodness of my life, the goodness of this auspicious time together, touching into challenging territory, the reality, so much of our reality that's just constructed on our worldview can be really tricky in terms of enemies and friends and what is best and what is worthless. And yes, thoughts can be helpful for distinguishing what we feel is wholesome and not wholesome, but the Buddha is encouraging us to dare into the territory of noticing the ending of a thought before the next thought begins. That ground of silent listening that's not supported by anything, because it is. And that what our teacher called bare awareness makes one very vulnerable because then we're touching everything and everyone. And when we share blessings for the welfare of all, that energy naturally, just like a pebble dropping into a pool sends ripples in all directions. We send the goodness of our life for all. Thoughts. The Buddha said it's like taking a bubble to be the whole ocean. Oh, Kitty Sar, aren't you exaggerating? When we get really depressed, those little thoughts make us want to maybe take our life or do something harmful to ourselves or someone else. It seems so real, so all encompassing. Buddha said that's like taking a bubble to be the whole ocean. A sacred name, Bhutto, Guan Yin, Sitaram, Mother Mary, Mother Nature. We let the bubble, the sacred name, sounds and then pops and guides us back to that boundless ground, to the real ocean, the real home ground. There's safety there because no one can take it away. It is. And the Buddha is encouraging us to trust the mysterious power of that ground. Thank you, everyone. Blessings. Namo Kwan Chi and Pusa. Homage to the greatly compassionate one who listens at ease to the sounds of the world. Guide us to listen truly that we may return, our awareness may be restored to its holy ground. Homage to the awakened ones.
Good night. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.